Hello again, and welcome back to the Slow Flowers Podcast with Deborah Prinzing, episode 551. This is the weekly podcast about slow flowers and the people who grow and design with them. It's all about making a conscious choice, and I invite you to join the conversation and the creative community as we discuss the vital topics of saving our domestic flower farms and supporting a floral industry that relies on a safe, seasonal, and local supply of flowers and foliage. This show is brought to you by slowflowers.com, the free online directory to more than 880 florist shops and studios who design with local, seasonal, and sustainable flowers, and to the farms that grow those blooms. It's the conscious choice for buying and sending flowers. And thank you to our lead sponsor, returning for 2022, Farm Girl Flowers. Farm Girl Flowers delivers iconic burlap wrap bouquets and lush, abundant arrangements to customers across the U.S. supporting U.S. flower farms by purchasing more than $10 million of U.S.-grown fresh and seasonal flowers and foliage annually. Discover more at farmgrowflowers.com. Our next sponsor thanks goes to Cal Flowers, the leading floral trade association in California, providing valuable transportation and other benefits to flower growers and the entire floral supply chain. The association is a leader in bringing fresh cut flowers to the U.S. market and in promoting the benefits of flowers to new generations of American consumers. Learn more at CAFGS.org. Well, it's spring, so it's also garden book season, of course. Last week, you met Teresa J. Spate, author of Black Flora. Today, it's my pleasure to introduce you to Riz Reyes of RHR Horticulture, a longtime Slow Flowers member and friend who has authored his first book for young readers and their families. The book is called Grow, and Grow encourages children to discover 15 plants and fungi with life-changing powers and teaching them how to grow plants at home. Riz profiles 15 plants, beautifully illustrated by Sarah Boccaccini Meadows, and in each section, readers will meet the often surprising plant relatives. For example, the tasty tomato is a cousin of the deadly nightshade. And they'll learn about interesting plant stories, which are accompanied with step-by-step instructions to grow and care for each one, whether you have a big backyard garden or a sunny windowsill. Here's a little bit more about Riz. Rizignano Reyes is a horticulturist, speaker, and educator. Growing up in the Philippines, Riz spent his childhood on a fruit plantation managed by his father before moving to the Pacific Northwest at age seven. Upon arrival in the U.S., Riz learned the names of the new and strange flowers that he encountered here, and he continued to nurture his love of horticulture, the art and science of plants, at the University of Washington. Of his work, Riz says he hopes to inspire more young people, quote, especially people of color, to be involved with interacting with nature and learning about the environment. If everyone did this, can you imagine what a beautiful world this could be, he asks. I hope you enjoy our conversation recorded a few weeks ago inside my cozy greenhouse. I've edited some of the whimsical info-packed illustrations by Sarah Boccaccini Meadows throughout the accompanying video, which you can find in our show notes at slowflowerspodcast.com for episode 551. You'll also see some interior pages of the book as well as find a link to all of his social places and a bonus 
I am adding the link to my 2015 interview with Riz when he first appeared on the Slow Flowers podcast. Let's jump right in and get started. I'm here in my very special video studio, aka my greenhouse. I asked my friend Riz Reyes to come over and visit, and thank you for coming. Thanks for having me, Deborah. Yeah, this is nice. It's been a while since I've been in here. I know, I know, and it's kind of end of end of uh, winter, so things aren't looking too bad. But the dead stuff's over there. Um, <laughs> hey, we um, we've been talking about your debut as an author and congratulations I'm so happy for you thank you thank you very much um for those of you who are longtime listeners of the podcast Riz is a past guest he's been a past speaker at the first slow flowers summit uh he appears in our video our slow flowers society video uh when we went to UW farm yeah that turned out beautiful it did it was great Elena did a great job thanks for letting us do that sure sure and um, anyway, uh, of course, I love everything about Riz and his work, but the, the, the author title he's had for years from writing articles, and now a book. Yeah, a children's book. <laughs> yeah. So tell us about the book. Congratulations. Thank you. Um, so this is my first time writing uh, a, a children's book, and uh, it was quite a process, actually. And, and so because in the past, I would always feedback from other people about, oh, Riz, gosh, you've done so many different things and so many different topics. You have so many different interests. Um, when are you going to write a book? When are you going to write a book? And I've always felt like it was uh, on what? You know, I feel like everything's been written about already, you know, whether it's flower arranging or, you know, lilies, uh, you know, any hostess. All the, I'm just interested in so many different things. I know. Things, that's right? the thing. You are an expert in so many different <laughs> things. And of course, every genus has a book. Right, exactly. And so why? Why do we need another, you know, book on whatever? So then it got me thinking, I've always wanted to to write a book, you know, to be able to say that I you know, uh, have my body of work somehow encapsulated in a thing, you know, that I can, that can, that can live on beyond, you know, my years. Yeah, a tangible artifact of, yeah. of creativity. I th- thought, God, that'd be, that'd be so amazing, you know, to, you know, to accomplish something like that. And then I thought about the audience and the typical audience that I present to. And I thought, you know, okay, well, this is, sure, I could go that route. But then I started thinking about the next generation, even though I've, I've, people consider me like this next generation, you know, I'm getting up there, you know, <laughs> I've, got, I've gotten, a, I've paid a few dues, right? You have a few gray hairs, I know. I too. do. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> so, yeah, it's, you know, it's an everyday reminder now, like, okay, you know, it is, you are moving into this stage in your life and career where, um, yeah, you know, take a look back so you can now begin to look forward. Because, mm-hmm. you know, wait, as you get older, you have to be strategic, right? Mm-hmm. In terms of taking care of yourself, pacing yourself. Um, because even, you know, I'm almost 40, not quite there yet, but it's, I'm, I'm feeling it, Deborah, you know? It, I don't feel too bad for you, but yeah. okay, I remember that. <laughs> so, like, now I'm, like, I'm beginning to experience what people are, you know, talking about, yeah. but that's the thing, right? When you love what you do, you want to be able to do it into your later years. So, um, anyway, uh, so I started thinking about, again, this, this audience, and I thought, well, it'd be great to reach out to a younger audience mm-hmm. and maybe uh, share an experience and a story that they could relate to. Maybe I can share my story mm-hmm. growing up. And uh, because again, it, 
it's all, all, all sorts of things, you know, um, being an immigrant, you know, moving into, you know, uh, to the U.S. and um, having this really unique uh, interest in, yeah. in plants and flowers. So uh, I figured, oh, maybe that could be my angle. So I'd actually written a story that I was starting to um, send out to publishers and, you know, getting rejection letters back and um, kind of understanding this process. And I was working with, uh, uh, with a mentor uh, who basically kind of coached me through and I would um, write, um, make revisions and he, you know, he'd give me feedback and that sort of thing. So that was great. I'm always surrounded by these wonderful people uh, that, that have uh, been helping me through this process. And um, so, um, so yeah, um, I just kind of kept it in the back, you know, uh, in the back of my mind that, oh, okay, maybe someday I'll get this out there. I'll do another revision, get it sent out again. Mm-hmm. And then when the whole world shut down in 2020, um, I, I was lucky to still be able to work. Um, but then at the same time, I'm, you know, trying to think about, okay, well, you know, what do I do? You know, how can I engage with, you know, with an audience somehow? And I kind of did what everyone did, you know, um, make videos and just do a lot of things on Instagram and that sort of thing. Um, and then around, I want to say, yeah, around this time, um, in 2020, so yeah, mid-March uh, 2020, I get this email from Magic Cat Publishing. And I'm like, huh, okay. Like, so I'm looking at it, and, and then they're saying, oh, hi, so-and-so. Um, uh, we're a children's uh, you know, book uh, publishing company, and um, we have this idea for a children's book, and we're interested uh, uh, to find out to see if you'd be interested in, uh, in authoring it. And I'm like, huh. That's amazing. So, but first I'm like, okay, what is this? Like, <laughs> you know, trying to Google them. And yeah, exactly. Yeah. So they were legit, you know, they had different, you know, titles. They, had a, they have a beautiful website and you can see who their target audience was. And um, so I replied back and, um, and, I, and I guess they, yeah, they found me on social media and they thought that they had this idea for a children's book um, based on gardening and plants. And they thought that I might be an appropriate, you know, author for it. So, um so like, you know, so we had, we had a Zoom chat and I got to meet, you know, the, the editor there and, and we had their, uh, this conversation and they showed me the outline of it and we looked at it together and I offered some ideas and uh, yeah, it became this sort of collaboration. And then they're like, okay, well, this sounds great. Can you write us uh, a sample of what, um, what ended up being these 15, you know, chapters? Um, so we started with the, the, with the camellia. That was the first um, uh, chapter that was written. And in a way, that was the ticket, so to speak. Uh, so I submitted that. And then afterwards, they replied back uh, with the contract. Wow. So, yeah. So that's where it, uh, where it began. So how? what is the actual premise? It's for children. What age group? And then also, what's sort of the um, point of the book? What are they trying to communicate? Yeah. Um, so we kind of try to figure this out together because... They had just a rough outline, basically, and then I just kind of threw out some ideas. But in that process, we began to kind of bring it together. And, I, and so the first one was the most challenging because I wasn't sure what, you know, what it was going to look like, um, how, what the layout was going to be. And also, I didn't even know who the illustrator was. Because one thing I learned in this process that my mentor was telling me, that if you work with a publisher, they typically choose the illustrator for, uh, for a children's book. So... Did, did they have an illustrator in mind when they approached you? Um, that I don't know. Oh, okay. They just mentioned, oh, yeah, so we got this idea, and here's the illustrator. 
Sarah wow. Bocaccini Meadows. Um, so, Bocaccini, excuse me. So, um, yeah, so I just wrote and I had my deadlines and the hard thing was choosing um, the, the different plants. But we came up with different themes for each one where each plant was a hero, you know? I love that. And, so um, creative. It's, uh, it was, it was like cool. Like a superhero. Yeah, exactly. Okay. So the plant, whatever the plant's attributes are, you made them superhero-ish mm-hmm. sort of thing. Yeah. Like what is the camellia's um, hour? Superpower. <laughs> so, um, hospitality okay. was, was, was the first thing that kind of came to mind. Um, and, and I think I chose the camellia because it encompassed a lot of different cultures that, uh, that use camellia. And of course we think, you know, tea, We're drinking right? tea, right. So, uh, whether, yeah, you're in England or in China, you know, the, uh, tea plays a role in cultures and ceremonies and, um, you know, your morning cup of tea yeah. and that sort of thing. So, then I started thinking about these different plants, and that's how I went to. You know, make, I made those decisions as to okay, what plant will have um, a superpower, and try to draw from that. And so, uh, so I, to me, then I started thinking, okay, like, wow, these plants growing up. If you really think about it, and you really study them, um, they have so each plant has a story and we've heard that uh, phrase before and I wanted to extract some of those stories and bring them out and it was nice to think about children as the audience because I'm so used to you know speaking to you know women and 40 and above you know basically <laughs> it was my audience right um so I'm comfortable there you know yeah. so um but here it's you know a young you know child and so in a way I can be, I, I didn't have to, um, I did you know, change my language and how, and how I present and how I write. So that was difficult, but mm-hmm. the editorial team was great because, mm-hmm. um, they took what I wrote and basically simplified it. So without, you know, changing, you know, things completely. So that was really helpful, but it, it was easy to actually just state a fact and be good with it. Versus I feel like when I'm speaking to an older audience, I had to elaborate and, you know, really... Uh, like sell them on the idea. Yeah. yeah. Whereas here, it's just, you know, a simple fact and that's it. Well, we're going to show some of the photos. I'm going to edit them into our conversation so people can see some of the... Um, first, the beautiful cover and yeah. then the uh, interior photos, or excuse me, photos of the illustrations. Um, the uh, Tell us the illustrator's name again. Sara. Bocaccini Meadows. Okay, and she's British, but she lives in New York. Correct. Right? Yeah, yeah. I, I saw her on that Zoom mm-hmm. uh, book event you did, and um, it, it seemed like you both jumped right in and, and brought your best to this project. <laughs> she loves to illustrate for children, and but she isn't necessarily a botanical illustrator, Correct. right? Yeah. Okay. And that was uh, uh, in our conversations, she. You know, we you know put it out there right, in terms of like things we were uncomfortable about, that like, we weren't sure of. Um, but it was great because uh-huh. there were a few things that uh, that I struggled with in my process, and it was good to hear that she went through the same thing as well. So this is basically her first title as well as a full as a full on illustrator for you know for a children's oh, book. Wonderful. But, but she's done other projects before. Mm-hmm. Um, actually, one um, project that she has because of, of course when I learned who who the illustrator was going to be, I immediately looked her up online and yeah her seattle chocolates was one of her um uh 
projects. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So I was like, gosh, these, you know, the, you know, these drawings look really familiar. But um, so yeah, it was just fun to uh, yeah, to finally meet her and to uh, learn about each other's process mm-hmm. because uh, I was kind of going through mine because obviously this is my first time you know, right. writing a uh, writing a children's book. Well, so, Riz, the um, the thing that's so interesting about you talking about switching it up to having a a young audience mm-hmm. is, I mean, there, it seems like you were coming full circle because you so often talk about growing up, um, you know, around plants, mm-hmm. and that was just a natural part of your childhood. But many kids these days don't have that in their childhood. So you were trying to recreate a little bit of that wonderment that you felt probably when you first. <laughs> became obsessed with gardening yeah. and plants. Well, I I have to acknowledge, and I do acknowledge the fact that I was a weird kid, you know, and I'm going to embrace that, you know, <laughs> till my last days. And and I think that's the thing. Each kid is weird, you know, yeah. whether they like it or not. And of course, we try so hard to want to fit in and to be accepted. And I definitely went through that phase. And I think every child does, to you know, as they find themselves, right? right. And I think I was so lucky to find myself in plants and that's why, to me, they are my my superheroes, you know. Yeah, so I love it. that's uh, kind of like wow, that's really kind of what it is because it was such an uh, an escape, and it was and plants taught me so much. And when things weren't so great, you know, at home, plants were like, uh, you know, plants rescued me mm-hmm. basically, mm-hmm. you know, um, by showing me all the different things that they did that yeah. were just unbelievable. It ignited your curiosity that you've had your you know yeah. that propelled you into university and to a profession and you know what you couldn't imagine doing anything else I'm guessing yeah I mean it certainly felt that way you know especially when it comes to you know uh, work and you know a job like gosh you know what can I you know uh, there's so many different things that I I could have done you know but this was such a natural uh, pull and I was fortunate to have people around me that helped nurture that Um, but at the same time it's uh yeah it it still took work you know there are times where you know it wasn't so great mm-hmm. and um where you doubt yourself because it's one of those careers that really I think my parents uh, wanted to discourage me from from pursuing because there was a lot of uncertainty but it also in their mind it was sort of like God, you know we we brought the family to the US and you know to have a better life and a better future and Here's my son, my youngest son, wants to play with flowers and play in the dirt and, and grow plants. You know, what is this? stay back in the Philippines and do that. Pretty much, right? yeah. you know. Yeah. But, um, but I'd well, like to think that uh, there's so many different aspects to horticulture and different opportunities that I've had to hopefully show them that, like, look, you know, um, here's something that even though, you know, my my where I'm living the clothes that I wear you know my hobbies like don't reflect you know that but as a person yeah. and what ha- my profession has um, taught me you know to be the person that I am uh, I think speaks volumes to you know the my income I guess and know? I think it's really it, <laughs> it's inspiring that you you found your way in a profession that um you know, not a lot of people uh, looked like you when you started. You were often, mm. you know, the youngest for, yes. for sure. Yes. Yeah. And um, you, I don't know, you've just you've just created this life for yourself in plants. And it feels like, to me, the floral design was also part of Full Circle. Because oh, yeah. you used to love 
flowers when you were very young and yes. you were like you would enter competitions, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. Tell, tell me a little bit of how you rediscovered floral design. And is there any floral design in Grow? Um, a modification uh, or a, a version of it. Um, but in the planning for, so this is the exciting part for me. Now that the book's out and we're hopefully, you know, getting to a point in this pandemic where we can meet and gather are the projects and the workshops that I want to do with kids that will definitely include floral. Oh, I bet. Because oh. It's, the, it's the building blocks. And I basically want to go, I basically want to teach children uh, or share my experience with children, my own journey to horticulture, which began with, with floral. So it's a matter of some, getting something that's accessible. Here in this, my case, it was going to the grocery store and uh, and seeing these beautiful plants, and then wanting to know their names, and then wanting to learn where they came from. So yeah, exactly like you said, mm. you know, we really became full circle uh, in uh, in this process. How much floral design are you getting to do these days? Because you are working uh, at a, a hospitality company mm-hmm. and. Um, you have amazing gardens. Do you cut from them? And Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. All right. And it's nice that I can kind of pass that baton on to, you know, to our gardeners that, you know, that work there. And also I um, helped design and plant the gardens at uh, McMinniman's Anderson School from the very beginning. So, of course, when I'm planting things, it's like, okay, you know, yeah, this will be a good cut, you know, <laughs> sort of thing. I need extra foliage at that yeah. time of year or whatever. And now we're in our sixth or seventh now growing season. Yeah. Like we're... We're clipping, we're cutting, and I actually have a bucket for you of stuff that I want to do for you. Yeah. So it's one of those things where, yeah, we can just, because they need it. They need to be trimmed. We need to be, they need to be pruned. You know, the dogwoods need to be coppiced. We have curly willow that needs to be coppiced. So, you know, we have all this, you know, so-called product, (laughs) but I don't refer to it as product, but, you know, it, it can be. That allows us, yeah, to make arrangements for the hotel. And, um, and do you make them for the hotel? Um, occasionally, or do like, you have your team members do it? Uh, we we switch. Up, okay. You know, so it's one of our morning tasks is to check the floral arrangements um, in the front desk, and whoever has time that morning will do a refresh. You know. So the McMenamins Anderson School is in Bothell, which is north of Seattle. But right. then you're also, and what's your actual title? Gardens manager. Gardens manager, mm-hmm. because you have. A second property now huh? in Tacoma, right? Yeah. Well, so that one is uh, being, so I supervise the gardener that's there. Okay. Uh, so I give my insight because I helped open that property as well. What is that called? So that's um, McMinniman's uh, Elks Temple. Elks Temple. Mm-hmm. Okay. I've been there once. It's a it's a landmark in Tacoma, mm-hmm. right? It's a, yeah. It's a beautiful building right. and uh, next to the uh, beautiful city hall there. And there's uh, what we call the goat garden now. It's the goat lot. Uh, we call it that because it was this empty lot for years, uh, just covered in you know blackberry and just junk. And so it hasn't been touched for a while. But since McMinimans purchased it, thinking, oh, we'll do something with this space, um, uh, my boss hired uh, a, a goat company, I guess you could call oh, it. Oh, those, the rent ruminants. A, yeah, rent a ruminant is the name of the business. Yeah. And what, they, they cleared the lot for you? Yep. They, um, they Every year she would bring in the goats and uh, and they became this attraction to the city, you know. <laughs> and uh, and they did an incredible job. Like, they mowed it down completely. And that's the thing, to get rid of Blackberry, you just have to keep at it. Um, so now uh, it's referred to as the goat lot or the goat garden. <laughs> and now the gardener there is turning it into an urban farm. 
Oh, wow. Yeah, so, so it's not on the side where the steps are. The, the Spanish steps. On the, that's on the other okay. side of the building. Okay. That's another historic landmark. Right. Um, but we uh, planted uh, in, on each side of the steps there as well. So we maintain the gardens Yeah, that's there as beautiful. Well. Mm-hmm. Wow. Do you think you can squeeze a little cutting garden in there? Um, I know the gardener there, actually, she wants some cutting, you know, plants there. So we're just hooking her up with all sorts of extra divisions and stuff. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, she got some peonies. And, of course, there's always extra dahlia tubers. So, yeah, yeah, she's got her cutting garden there as well. And um, so, yeah. So it's, yeah, wow. A lot. A lot. (laughs) A lot. So if you're in Tacoma and you want to see Riz's work, go to the... uh, Elk Lodge, mm-hmm. McMinimins, or come to Bothell to where I think there's a bigger landscape there, right? The acreage is larger at Anderson School. Yeah. You, I was just, someone was talking about Edgeworthia, and I had this mm-hmm. picture in my mind of those mature ones that you must have planted when you first started mm-hmm. and that are stop people in their tracks yes. when they're in bloom, right? Yes, and that's, that's the goal, <laughs> you know? And it's the funnest thing, too, because people are so struck by it you know like well, what is this plant it looks like it's dead but then it has these yellow pom-poms you know and, and, and like right about now right um, they're just about finished okay. right now but um but yeah uh they're always an attraction and everyone asks about them every single year and i like that i want people to notice and see something different and unusual you know i think i i think riz what you're doing is well we notice it because we're plant freaks but mm-hmm. um there is this category of human called who I call like having nature blindness. Like they walk by plants and they don't yeah, notice them. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. you almost have to grab them with these exotic surprises mm-hmm. to stop them in their tracks. Yeah. And it sounds like you've done that in every season. And for me, being a gardener in the Pacific Northwest, I feel like it's our duty <laughs> to have diversity in our planting schemes in in the gardens here because it's like why not why do you not like take advantage when you are the envy of the nation and of the world of being this horticultural mecca you know because of the cultural conditions yeah Yeah. because of the cultural conditions (laughs) and um you know, so in some ways, yeah, if you want to represent diversity in people, you also, why not, you know, in, in our landscapes and our gardens as well? Because each of these all plants also come from different parts of the world. And that's my jam. I mean, that's how I want to show my work. And whether it's floral or in the garden, I love texture. I love being able to showcase each of these plants in, in what I do. That And you do that in your floral design. You, you know, you can, you cannot really be categorized as having an aesthetic other than a horticultural design aesthetic because you don't put from my observation you don't put anything in a vase or in a bouquet as filler Mm. everything has an intent Mm. and Mm -hmm. to show show that unique beauty of that plant Mm -hmm. and there's many different ways and i'm still learning uh how things can go together and that's one of the beautiful things that I love about the work that I get to do, and I also mentioned it in my introduction um, in Grow, is this, again, a very common phrase that I say again and again is we never stop learning, Mm. right? And that's one of the things I love about what I do is you're you're not held to, uh, you know, uh, there's standards, but but even with that standard, there's always something, you know, beyond that. So with floristry, I make the time to take a workshop or to befriend florists and to just expose myself to different mm-hmm. uh, bodies of work. 
uh, to learn different mechanics and to um, just see what you can do. So yeah. I, you know, I have all these wonderful mentors now that I've gotten to meet that have uh, been able to take part in workshops. And what I've loved about this process, it's it's been very reciprocal mm-hmm. in that they teach me mechanics and techniques and. I teach them different plants that yes, they can you use. Do. And it's mutually beneficial. It is. Yeah. And it's been so fun because it almost has uh, kick-started this um, enthusiasm. And um, it, it's sort of like, to me, that's something that's so common. Like, oh, okay, sure, whatever. Um, is this, like, new trend or is this new thing that florists are, are after? And uh, so it, I love that collaborative feel. That's so cool. So you talked about starting a grow. Uh, well, your first chapter that you wrote was Camellia. Mm-hmm. Um, what? Give us a couple uh, other picks that you want to make sure people look for when they buy the book and, and maybe be curious about how you express that particular plant. Yeah. So choosing plants for this book was like, you know, choosing your own child almost, you know, and like, what's your favorite? What, only 15? Yeah. <laughs> Not that I want 15 children, no. but no, it was, um, uh, I had to think about, because I, I can easily come up with 15 favorites, list them down and write about that. Mm. But again, know your audience. And I feel like I've been so alienated from this audience. I had to really take a step back and, okay, just, okay, start writing what do you feel like a kid will understand and will see, you know, mm-hmm. in this process? And, um, and there were some that are just like, oh, that's kind of, that's too complex or that's just, you know, how can they relate to that? So I try to focus on things that, um, that they would recognize. Um, but then we started to introduce the concept, not concept, but the, um, introduce families. Mm-hmm. And um, because they might not know the family, but they're sure to know a member of that family. Okay. So that helped in terms of coming up the, with the selections. So then you're, like, give me an example of one of the families that mm-hmm. you, you So um, Bromeliaceae, so okay. the bromeliads. Um, so they don't know bromeliad, but they know pineapple? Exactly. Okay. Exactly. Brilliant. Yeah. So that's an everyday fruit that they're familiar with. Exactly. Yeah. So then it's about finding facts that they might find interesting. And for me, that was actually the fun part. Also the most tedious and frustrating because I felt like I needed to really research, okay, what are we going to find interesting? Um, Because I had to look beyond my own knowledge about the particular plant or plants and um, and find these facts that uh, will hopefully resonate with the reader. That help tell a story about that plant. Yes, yeah. So a lot of history, um, a lot of um, uh, mythology, folklore, and that sort of thing. And also plants that have impacts from different cultures. Yeah. And so I learned a lot actually in this process thinking, okay, I know these plants. I know a lot already, but again, it goes to show how you're always learning in this process. So, um, so yeah, like the pineapple, for example, um, learning about its origins and, you know, where it was native to it. I didn't realize it was native to it early on. Um, but also, um, it's background and how, um, in, the Victorian era, how it was, I didn't realize it was this prized uh, fruit that symbolized, you know, wealth. And it's just like, oh, okay. And that's why they referred to the leaves as like a crown. Like, oh, okay. Like I could, I could definitely see that now. And then also how the, um, the motif of the pineapple was used to represent, um, you know, uh, artwork and stonework and large estates and houses um, to signify that, yes, you know, 
um, this is this exotic plant. We yes. are wealthy, you yes. know, kind of yes. thing. Interesting. And, like the plant explorers brought the fruit back to the conservatories of England. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. I thought it was interesting when I watched your um, your online uh, book launch that you talked about mushrooms being a big challenge. Yes. Yes. Because well, did you choose it or did they ask you to include it? I decided I decided to torture myself <laughs> with, this, with this chapter because um, I love mushrooms. I love to eat them, um, but I never fully delved into um, the the life cycle and the process of, of, of mushrooms. I knew I knew basics of yeah. it, but I really had to research and, and, and explain. And we actually had to go back and forth with the editor to make sure, like, okay, this is make sense. This is correct. Um, because the last thing I want is my colleagues coming to me and be like, you should have done this. You did, yeah. That was wrong. Yeah, da, 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 yeah da. exactly. So, um, but I, you know, I just, I did my part, let the editorial staff just kind of, you know, kind of fill in the blanks for me. Um, but again, it was just finding fun facts you know, about it. But what we really wanted to communicate with mushrooms was, um, yeah, they're the heroes of just of communication, collaboration, and how they all work together to bring different organisms together to work and, um, and symbiosis of, of organisms that occur when you're dealing with fungi. So that's what a great way to teach that. Yeah. I love that. So I felt like, okay, as complicated as, you know, mycology can be and, you know, not really knowing any of the Latin names of the different mushroom species even, um, you know, I felt like, okay, I had, I need, I need to challenge myself, yeah. you know, you stretched on that. One. Yeah. And so I'm glad I got through it. I hope it came through okay. But I also did enjoy a lot of the fun facts that came with it, you know, like truffles. And um, and I love Sarah's uh, illustrations too with the pig, you know, <laughs> that sort of thing. And you're hunting for them. Um, so she would take your what you wrote mm-hmm. and then go off on some crazy, uh, not crazy, but like whimsical way to illustrate that. Um, which, of course, the children maybe even look at the photos before they read the words. Maybe an adult is reading the words to them. Yeah, and that's another thing, too, that it wasn't until the very end of the book when I got the last proof and when they began marketing um, the title was, you know, my focus was, of course, oh, this is going to be a children's book. But in a way, I think I still had that... uh, Part of my voice always speaks to the adult. Right. Um, so then they had they did a beautiful job in incorporating my words and not only having it for kids but for adults as well, which meant it can be for the family. Right. So the parents uh, and grandparents are going to buy this book anyway and hope give, so. it to the, <laughs> give it to the child. Yeah. Um, but they can experience the book together because you put these projects in the book. Yes. Yes. So what? What were some of the fun projects that you came up with? Are they ways to get kids to interact with plants? A, a lot of it is to interact with plants, and a lot of it is for them to um, understand some of the basics of, of plant growing. Okay. So, for example, in the apple chapter, so again, that was another a big, big family. And so, uh, you know, I could have, you know, I could have done the rose, right? But then I'm like, okay, let's do a food spin onto it. What's the most common, like, fruit people will know that's in rosaceae. Of course, it's, you know, it's malice, the apple. And, um, and of course, the different stories and folklore and history behind all that. Um, they had really, like, I wrote a lot for that chapter. And, of course, they pared it, it down. It probably could have been a whole book. It, in and and I, exactly, exactly. Yeah. So, but I wanted to, of course, represent the family. But the project for that one is to grow an apple from seed, which in some ways kind of made sense. You know, a lot of children learn about Johnny Appleseed and like, oh, you can really grow an apple tree from a seed. When in like reality, I mean, sure, 
but the type of fruit that you'll get probably won't be the same. But I still want them to to try. So you, you know? actually um, tell kids how to pull the seed out of the core of the apple and germinate it. Well, um, I'd like to think that they can figure that out for themselves <laughs> in terms of what the seed is. I mean, that's is. Not what you're suggesting. Yeah. yeah. But the main lesson that I had uh, that was beautifully illustrated, actually, was uh, a simple viability test. Okay. And, and it's something that um, can be used for all seeds. So let's say you have an old packet of seeds. You know, is this still good? Uh, or will this seed grow? And it's a simple uh, putting in a glass of, uh, of water and... Um, uh, the floaters, you toss out the sinkers, you plant. So usually if a seed sinks, it means it's still got the endosperm and, and a viable embryo in there that will still grow. And But if it floats, it's pretty much a dud. And it's, yeah. And, uh, so that was the main thing I wanted to... It's so easy for anybody any, to do. Exactly. Yeah. And, um, exactly. Kids and adults, it's a simple viability test that even the professionals use. <laughs> and then there's the added sort of, hey, for fun, you know, you can plant it and grow your own apple tree. And then, yeah, you know, it could be several years. Um, you know, and of course, I didn't get into, you know, grafting and that sort of thing. Although they did mention, and we did mention it, and it's illustrated. And that's what's done to produce apples, you know, commercially, is so you have to graft them. Oh, how cool. So, um, yeah, and again, another beautiful illustration that shows that, that yeah, again, how would kids recognize these things, you know? For me, it was like, I geeked out about this sort of yeah. stuff, you know? Like, I was teaching my fifth grade class in elementary school how to tea butter rose. You know, that was I was that obsessed, you know, as a kid. Wow. So, um, but just a glimpse, yeah. you know, a simple drawing and a simple explanation um, to get them curious to be like, oh, what's that process? Oh, do they just take sticks then and shove it into like a big part, of, like in, into the, a tree and then it can grow a tree? And that's supposed to make it fruit faster? Like have them ask these questions. So to go beyond the book, yeah. you know? And I think that's why the format, the way um, Magic Cat Publishing has put this together was it's a little tidbit. And I think of it as like the perfect book to have in a doctor's office, mm. you know, like with the highlights magazines right. and, you know, and everything else, you know. And like um, even if you only opened it to one page, there was something to kept, capture your attention. Yes, absolutely. I love it. Absolutely. That's so, so cool. And yeah, and if they were successful to, you know, to grow an apple from seed to have a tree, like how cool, you know, um, is that. But That's so funny. It's about the process, yeah. you know, like get them to, uh, to start asking questions and to be curious. I love it. This has been so much fun. Yeah. I I have purchased Grow to send to a, a young friend of mine. Oh, great. But, and I have the PDF, so I will share some of the pages uh, when we um, broadcast this interview so people can get a teaser. But, um, of course, we want people to go to their local independent bookseller and yes. purchase Grow. And, Riz, are you going to – you have a calendar of events on your website, right? I'm working on it. Okay. Uh, yeah, I'm getting a few dates uh, nailed down. And, um, and yeah, uh, a lot of, uh, re requests, but also, like I mentioned earlier, excited for some of these events where, um, we can uh, springtime, summertime and different locations around Seattle. Maybe they'll send me to different parts of the country. Oh, I, I just heard some news too. So they're publishing the book in multiple languages. Awesome. Wow. So, um, just the translation alone yeah, is a big undertaking. It is. And actually, I got an email just recently uh, from a Polish woman uh, that say, hey, I'm so-and-so, and I'm translating your book into Polish. And, and of course, there was questions in terms of uh, she wanted to get the translation right. And, uh, and yeah, and here I am learning a little bit about, you know, the language. And um, 
And so that's pretty cool. Wow. Yeah. So kids around the world can learn these, uh, hear these stories, learn these facts, and uh, yeah, and uh, encourage hopefully a next generation of gardeners. Oh, I'm really inspired to hear about that. Congratulations. Thank you. <laughs> so happy for you. Thanks, Deborah. Uh, we are um, going to uh, have this episode in our show notes at slowflowerspodcast.com for episode 551. Wow. I know. Wow, I know. already. So Congratulations, Deborah. <laughs> I know. I don't know how to stop. So we'll share um, photos and you'll get to find Riz's social places and more about him and the link to your earlier podcast interviews. Yeah. So oh my so gosh, much. that was a while back. Yeah. Thank you for having me again. This is really fun. Yeah, it was good great. to catch up with you. Yeah, thanks. Thank you so much for joining our conversation. Wow, I have known Riz for more than a decade, and while our friendship began through horticulture and garden writing, it's definitely evolved into a shared appreciation and passion for cut flowers and floral design. If you want to learn more about this inspiring guy, as I said, come find all the links at slowflowerspodcast.com for episode 551, including a link to order Grow for yourself. Our next sponsor thanks goes to Store It Cold, creators of the revolutionary CoolBot. Save thousands when you build your own walk-in cooler with the CoolBot and an air conditioner. If you don't have time to build your own, they also have turnkey units available. Learn more at storeitcold.com. Last week's Slow Flowers Journal Online includes a report called Flowers for Ukraine, highlighting some of the efforts of our Slow Flowers community and others in the floral industry in raising funds and awareness to help Ukraine. I'll share the link in today's show notes for you to read more. But I want to direct your attention to a special international floral event taking place next week on Wednesday, April 6th, with Britain-based floral designer and sustainability influencer Shane Connolly. Shane is a past guest of the Slow Flowers podcast, as are some of the British flower growers representing Flowers from the Farm, with whom Shane is partnering for a virtual floral design demonstration. The demonstration takes place Wednesday, April 6th at 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern, and 7 p.m. British Standard Time in London. Shane's demonstration will use only locally grown and seasonal British flowers and sustainable mechanics. This special event is close to the hearts of the Slow Flowers community. Flowers from the Farm is donating the flowers, Shane is donating his time, and the tech firm responsible for filming and distribution is donating their services for free too. According to Jillian Hodgson of Flowers from the Farm, their aim is to get 1,000 people paying 10 pounds, which is around $13 US, each to watch, thus raising 10,000 pounds for the Disasters Emergency Committee appeal to help the relief effort in Ukraine. She wrote this to me in a recent uh, email. Watching a flower design taking shape from the safety of a comfortable sofa could seem crass and absurd at this awful time. But a period of peace, beauty, and quiet words, an hour spent with the beauty of flowers, it's never wasted. We all need to be reminded of the healing power of nature and the hope it gives us in the future. That's quite beautiful, Jillian. And you can find the link to donate to this cause and receive the link to watch Shane's heartfelt demonstration. If you're unable to watch at that time, it'll be available to watch later. 
Uh, so uh, I've got the link in our show notes at episode 551. I hope you join me. I'm going to um, enjoy watching Shane. A final sponsor thanks goes to flowerfarm.com, a leading wholesale flower distributor that sources from carefully selected farms to offer high-performing fresh flowers sent directly from the farm straight to you. You can shop by flower and by country of origin at flowerfarm.com. Find flowers and foliage from California, Florida, Oregon, and Washington by using the origin selection tool in your search. It's smarter sourcing. Learn more at flowerfarm.com. Thanks so much for joining us today. The Slow Flowers Podcast is a member-supported endeavor downloaded more than 830,000 times by listeners like you. Thank you for listening, commenting, and sharing. It means so much. As our movement gains more supporters and more passionate participants who believe in the importance of our domestic cut flower industry, the momentum is contagious. I know you feel it too. If you're new to our weekly show and our long-running podcast, check out all of our resources at slowflowerssociety.com and consider making a donation to sustain Slow Flowers' ongoing advocacy, education, and outreach activities. You can find the donate button in the column to the right at slowflowerspodcast.com. I'm Deborah Prinzing, host and producer of The Slow Flowers Show and The Slow Flowers Podcast. The Slow Flowers Podcast is engineered and edited by Andrew Brenlin. The content and opinions expressed here are either mine alone or those of my guests alone, independent of any podcast sponsor or other person, company, or organization. Next week, you're invited to join me in putting more slow flowers on the table, one stem, one vase at a time. I'll see you next week. Mm-hmm.